What is up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast from the Las Vegas Review Journal. Talks about hockey. Uh, I, of course, am Ben Goats, one of your Golden Knights uh, Review Journal beat writers. Joining me on the other line, he took time out of his lovely vacation time to chat with my colleague Dave Shane. Dave, how's how's life treating you over there? Like, uh, well, I'm in L.A. traffic right now, literally uh, rolling down the 405 with my friend at the wheel. Uh, let's see, it looks like the uh, Fox uh, television, television studios over here to my right, and uh, Wilshire Boulevard. So anybody familiar with uh, Los Angeles probably knows exactly where I'm at right now. Uh, I am not one of those people, so that all just sounded made up to me. But it sounds like you're doing well uh, is my takeaway, so I'll take it. Uh, on this episode, which, like I said, Dave has uh, so graciously uh, agreed to be on. We're going to talk about uh, Marc-Andre Fleury's decision to play in Chicago next season. He actually literally just wrapped up his uh, Zoom call with the local media there and some Las Vegas people, including yours truly, are on there. We're also going to talk about the uh, Alex Tuck injury news. They came out late last week, right after we uh, recorded our podcast, so that made us look Real smart. Uh, and we're going to, you know, talk about some other stuff, some Olympics, uh, potentially, and the kind of what can happen with those and the Golden Knights next year. But before we get to all that, I want to remind everyone that the Golden Edge podcast is brought to you by the Las Vegas Review Journal. We are presented by Blue Wire Hustle. Uh, also, if you guys could check out all our written work at reviewjournal.com, that will be much appreciated. As I said, I just got done listening to Mark andre Fleury talk, so you can read all about it on our website. And of course, if you guys could uh, rate, review, subscribe, whatever you get a podcast due to this one, we would very much appreciate it. All right. So let's start with the big news that came out uh, Sunday morning. We're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. And that is the fact that uh, Mark andre Fleury is indeed playing for the Chicago Blackhawks next season. He got traded by the Golden Knights to there for a minor league forward who's not even going to be part of the Knights organization. Uh, since the move happened, Flurry has pretty much been uh, quiet for the most part. He sent out a statement that night, kind of thanking his teammates and fans, uh, not the organization, by the way, and then kind of, you know, retreated uh, back into the darkness for a little bit. His agent, Alan Walsh, said his client was going to seriously evaluate his future which uh, when you're 36 years old, obviously hints at uh, is Flurry going to play or is Flurry not going to play. Ultimately, he decides to play in Chicago. Sunday kind of does a little, you know, Twitter video saying, hey, I'm in. And like I said, officially today on Wednesday, he gets introduced to uh, the local media. I mean, we talked about it when it happened, Dave. We did a full podcast just breaking down the Marc-Andre Flurry trade and his legacy with the team. If you guys want to uh, go check out that episode, but we chatted a little bit about what we thought the future might hold for Marc-Andre Fleury. Uh, Dave, are you surprised at all that it looks like the future is going to be, he is going to play and he is going to play in Chicago? Nope, not surprised at all. They always expected it to uh, have this be the ultimate resolution, you know, for the situation. I understand that he was hurt and disappointed, but I always kind of think about you know, like when I was in high school and got dumped and sat there and said, I'm never going out with anybody ever again. Like, that's what it felt like with Marc-Andre Fleury here. He basically got dumped, got dumped by the Knights. And they 
they dumped him for Robin Leonard and he was hurt and disappointed and bitter. And everybody can understand that because everybody can relate to it in some way. Everybody's gone through that. But Mark andre Fleury loves hockey too much to walk away. And I forget the money and all that sort of stuff. You saw how much fun he had last year. And even he said it, when he stops having fun, that's when he's going to walk away. And, and he's still playing at a high level. He's, he's going to a city, and we can talk about this a little bit, in a team you know, that has a chance to contend. He didn't get exiled somewhere. So, yeah, I felt like it is once the hurt and the disappointment of the situation wore off and he realized, okay, there's still a year in my contract. I can play hockey for a good team. You know, yeah, I thought all along that, that this is eventually what was going to happen. Yeah, first of all, your metaphor just like shocked me to the core. And now I'm going to start, you know, tearing up as we record this podcast, thinking about all the lovely uh, lost loves I have in high school. But I do think that's true and it's very relatable and it makes sense that, you know, it took him some time to kind of get over it. He said uh, today that he was very thankful for, you know, general manager Sam Bowman and the Chicago organization for kind of giving him the space that he needed, but it sounds like he's kind of toured the city. Now he's talked to a bunch of, you know, former teammates or now about to be future teammates about the city he kind of has looked at some schools that his daughter go at and he's you know pretty comfortable that it's gonna work out and then he's gonna be willing to kind of move his family and he said he's actually fortunate this is basically just the third time he's had to do that uh because a lot of guys move around a lot more than he's had to in his lengthy career um but you touched on a little bit now that we think or now that he's going to play what do we ultimately think of the landing spot in Chicago was 20th in points percentage last year. So not a playoff team, not necessarily, you know, a great year, but they did do a lot of things uh, this off season in terms of, you know, they added defenseman Seth Jones from the Columbus blue jackets. They added Tyler Johnson, a center from the Tampa Bay lightning. He'll probably be their third line center. You would think. And obviously now they've added the reigning Vezina trophy winner. Uh, that is a very tough division, but do you think, Flurry makes them a playoff team, Dave, a playoff contender. How does it kind of change the outlook for Chicago next season? I think in a positive way. I mean, I have to look at the division a little bit closer because to be quite honest, I got so used to the West division this year and some of the teams like I was thinking about this. Like, well, Minnesota's back in that central division and everything, you know, talked about an up-and-coming team and all those that Bill Guerin's made and whatever. And they're not in the Knights division anymore. They're in the central. Um, so obviously you kind of figure they're going to be in it. You figure Colorado's a favorite. Uh, Winnipeg should be pretty decent. Some of the uh, upgrades, you know, that they made finally on defense. So there, there's some other teams there. Uh, you know, even some like Nashville potentially, you know, that could stand in Chicago's way. But with all the upgrades that you mentioned and the way that Stan Bowman seems to kind of be saying, hey, you know, if we've got one last push here, you know, we need a goaltender who can give us, you know, potentially 50 plus games, you know, in a year, depending on, because the other thing too, is they've got Kevin Lonkin and he played pretty well, you know, last year. It's not like, you know, I, I don't think there's any dispute on who the number one goalie is. And I think in that regard, you know, it's a pretty good situation for Marc-Andre Fleury. But at the same time, he doesn't have to go in there and play 60 games and, and be the savior. He, he's got somebody to lean on a little bit and be, you know, his partner. And, and again, you know, Jonathan Taves is most likely coming back. You know, Kane is there. Debrink is there. You mentioned Jones and, 
you know, some of the other moves that they made. So, you know, this is a team, you know, that's pushing for the playoffs and, and pushing to make a run and probably felt like it was a goaltender away. So from that standpoint, again, it's not like, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury got sent somewhere terrible. It's not like he got sent to a bad team that happened to not be on his no trade list and the Knights, you know, gave him the shaft or something like that. This is a good landing spot, you know, for him, all things considered. Yeah, you mentioned it seems like the Blackhawks are trying to make one last push here. I mean, Patrick Kane, 32 years old, Jonathan Tays, 33 years old, kind of the, you know, two key forwards of their three Stanley Cup winning teams. They're each under contract for two more seasons. So, you know, I feel like uh, general manager Stan Bowman might have felt uh, some pressure to, you know, build another winner around those guys so that they could finish their career out in Chicago. Um, obviously, uh, Stan Bowman is feeling heat from a lot of directions right now, but we'll just kind of focus on the hockey side since we're not really equipped to tackle all the off-ice stuff that he's dealing with uh, right now. Um, just to go over a couple, you know, interesting things that uh, Mark andre Fleury said today. First of all, you know, as you would expect, he talked about um, how when he first came to Las Vegas, he didn't know what to expect. He didn't know if people were going to like hockey. He didn't know if people were going to come to the games. And obviously he was like, you know, the fact that the uh, rink team of arena became, you know, so raucous and so fun was really good. He's winning as many games as we did was something that he'll always remember, you know, making it to the Stanley cup final uh, that first year. Um, but it, it was interesting, you know, he kind of brought up like, Hey, you know, it's part of the game that every single year guys come in and guys come out and it's always tough and it's never easy because those are guys that you're usually around every day. But now all of a sudden you see them once or twice a year. And um, like I think I said earlier in the podcast, he hasn't been on the other side of that a lot. He is uh, up until this uh, upcoming season, he's been in basically uh, two locker rooms and in what I think is a uh, 16 year career. And even the first move to the Golden Knights is one that he kind of embraced and accepted and kind of asked for, whereas this one was obviously uh, one that he said caught him by surprise. Um, you know, I'm just, what do you think uh, for a, a guy like that, Dave, the adjustment is uh, late, especially for a guy late in his career, all of a sudden jump to a new team, a new system, a new you know, defense and all that. Cause I have to imagine after thinking, you know, he was probably going to play his entire career in Pittsburgh. And then, you know, he thought he was going to retire as a gold Knight, that this is going to be something that's going to take probably a little bit to adjust to for him. Yeah. And I think that was probably, you know, some of the initial, you know, reaction and, and shock and maybe hesitancy on his part to just commit right away and say, well, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm diving head first into this. I mean, you know, again, he's got one year left on his contract. We talked extensively, you know, the effect, you know, the death of his father had on him personally and just, you know, how it seemed to, you know, maybe take away a little bit of his joy from the game that it seemed to come back last year. You know, there's a lot of just, just different things, I think, you know, with where he's at, you know, in his career now. And, and you figure, you know, look, if this is a one-shot deal, you know, a one-year you know, kind of thing. Let's, let's just take a swing and then see if we can hit a home run on it. You know? Yeah. And again, he's going into a locker room with some veterans, you know, some guys that he's probably had, 
you know, a little bit of experience with. I'm sure he's crossed paths, you know, maybe in like the Olympics and things like that with Jonathan Caves, you know, with Team Canada. Um, they're not too far away in age. It's it's like three and a half years, I think, somewhere along those lines. So, you know, there's probably some familiar faces. Like you said, there were some guys that he talked to, you know, to learn a little bit a little bit about the organization and the city, kind of get the seal of approval almost, you know, before he you know, put that video out and said that he was all in. So I, I think, yeah, I mean, anytime you you go to a new city, you go to a new team, it's going to be an adjustment. But again, I think for him, and, and especially when you have a personality like him and, and somebody that's so outgoing and is going to fit in so well in any locker room that you drop him into, I think I think once he, you know, once people get that that sort of Marc-Andre Fleury vibe and you you see that smile, and it radiates kind of throughout the locker room. I think, it, you know, the adjustment period is going to be that much easier for him because everybody else is going to make it easier on him as well, if that makes sense. No, totally. And yeah, as Dave mentioned, Mark Andre Fleury has one year remaining on his contract with $7 million cap it. So it is possible that this just kind of ends up being a one-year stopgap, and then maybe he gets to control his own destiny after the season. We'll have to see. But obviously the big news, Mark andre Fleury is going to play next year, just not for uh, the Golden Knights. Um, all right, so we're going to move on to uh, another topic, and uh, that is the fact that uh, when we last recorded the podcast and we thought the Knights had pretty much wrapped up their offseason, we were like, wow, you know, Pete DeBoer is going to have so many forward options, and, um, you know, they're a little bit of a cap pickle, but they can probably figure it out, fudge it a little bit. Uh, well, uh, the day after era, we recorded that podcast. General Manager Kelly McCrimmon revealed that there was another shoe that had yet to drop in terms of both, you know, the number of kind of forwards they had on the roster and the cap situation. And that is the fact that Alex Tuck, as it turns out, had shoulder surgery about two weeks ago and is expected to miss six months. Uh, General Manager Kelly McCrimmon said he's, you know, Tuck is expected to make a full recovery doesn't sound like there was like, you know, any one play or like a hit in the corner or anything that hurt Tuck's shoulder. It was just something that was bothering him all season. And they thought it would just kind of go away, get better. Uh, but Tuck went on uh, vacation this summer, came back, still didn't feel right. So they did further tests and they decided, yep, you actually have to have surgery. Uh, so now that we know that the Knights kind of roster puzzle is complete and they're going to likely begin the season with Tuck on LTIR. Uh, what do you think kind of the effect of not having, you know, basically their chief bottom six scorer from the last couple of years in the lineup for uh, quite a bit of the season is going to be, Dave? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's twofold. I think it has a big effect. Um, I think we can talk about this a little bit, but, you know, certainly you look after Wednesday last week in, you know, free agency and you kind of put the lineup on the board. And, and, you know, all the Jack Eichel rumors all aside, like you look at that team and you're like, okay, it's a pretty deep top nine. As Kelly McCrimmon said, he felt like it was their best top nine, you know, that they've had. Certainly, at least on paper, if you drew up lines, you're looking at, you know, like two 20-goal scorers probably on your third line with with Tuck and Dadanov. And, and now all of a sudden you don't have that. Now all of a sudden you're you're kind of piecing guys together and, you know, Kelly McCrimmon had mentioned Matthias Yanmark being a bonus and, and sort of something that, you know, they weren't expecting to be able to, to afford and, and sort of came along late. And it makes you wonder, well, you know, 
Maybe it was the Alex Tuck surgery. Maybe it was Alex Tuck going on LTR, LTIR that enabled them to, you know, afford the TFM market $2 million and, and have an additional, you know, versatile Swiss Army knife, you know, type player down there in the top nine, uh, you know, to, to fill in different gaps. Like it, it just, it does, it completely changes them. And then, you know, the other thing too, is I think it changes them defensively because it, you know, last year, especially in the playoffs and then toward the end of the year, you know, we saw it. Pete DeBoer and that system was basically telling Alex Tuck on the back check, go hunt the puck. Just just go find it. He's faster than everybody. He was able to bother so many people on the back check, you know, just being a puck hound and, and everybody kind of adjusting and balancing out and filling in the, the lanes and the gaps, you know, around where he was going. It, it worked so well. And so you take that out of the lineup, you take, you know, his speed, and and the, the things that he's able to do and create because of that, I, I do think it's going to have a big impact. And I do feel like, you know, it changes the look a little bit of this team. I'm Jeff Gehrman, an investigative reporter with the Las Vegas Review Journal. I'm your guide for season two of Mobbed Up, The Fight for Las Vegas. You're in with every gangster and hoodlum in the United States. I don't go for that, Mr. Kennedy. I don't go for that kind of action. I was on television accused of fronting for the mob. Subscribe to Mobbed Up, The Fight for Las Vegas, Season 2, today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, we even saw um, him chase down like guys like Nathan McKinnon, who are you know, renowned for their speed, but Tuck has kind of the legs to matches. So it, that did seem to be kind of, you know, Pete DeVore talked so much last season about he wanted guys to add, you know, kind of quote unquote layers to their game, you know, unquote. And the defense was a part that really seemed to be kind of coming together for Tuck. And now, you know, at least early on in the year and probably for much of the year, we're not exactly going to see, you know, how that manifests itself. Um, the timeline would take him and, you know, until late January, but McCrimmon said, you know, Hey, there's a lot of kind of specific uh, hurdles that you would have to go through and kind of benchmarks that he has to clear. So it's way too early to kind of pinpoint an exact uh, date that he would come back. I think it's also worth pointing out that in the upcoming schedule for this year, there is that Olympic break. In early February, the Knights play the Sabres on February 1st and then don't play another game until the 25th. So it sure seems like that would probably be, you know, uh, an expected timeline of maybe you see Tuck after the Olympic break if the uh, teams indeed go to the Olympics, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. Um, But, Dave, we mentioned last uh, podcast that we thought DeBoer had a plethora of of options to kind of mix and match his forward lines. And for the most part, he still does, but obviously Tuck removes a major piece of that. I mean, do we think that Evgeny Danidov who was of course added in trade uh, this off season and is also uh, primarily a right wing. He's a left shot, but he plays the right wing. Usually just like Riley Smith does for the Knights. Do you think he's going to kind of slot into that depth uh, scoring role on the third line? Or could we see, DeBoer maybe break up his top six a little bit more and like move Dadnoff into, you know, one of those top two lines as a score, move Riley Smith to the third line. Are we going to see more experimentation maybe with Tuck out? 
Yeah, for, first off, I want to jump back just because I'm glad you mentioned, you know, on the timeline with Tuck in uh, the break, because it really does seem like, you know, if you count it out six months from when he did and whatever, that, you know, February is probably, you know, going to be, you know, without him as well. I Like, it doesn't make sense to rush him back for one game and then have the break and whatever, you know. So, I mean, we're basically probably talking about him coming back in March um, and maybe, you know, basically being able to play the last two months only of the regular season. And, and if that's the case, you know, if it does work out that long, I think it gives, you know, it gives Pete DeBoer some different options to have a guy like Dadnov and, and a guy who has played with, you know, elite centers. We talked about this on the podcast last time um, that somebody had translated the uh, questions that he was asked in, in Russian during that, uh, that media availability. And one of them was about playing with elite centers that he had, you know, played with Barkov in Florida, that he had played with uh, Shipashov, uh, even in the KHL. So it's something that, that certainly he's got the capability of doing his best seasons, you know, have been with, you know, guys who, who you can consider top end centers. I don't know if he's type, I, I still haven't really seen him enough to know what type of player he is and whether he needs a center like that or if he can play on the third line and, and still drive offense. Kevin McCrimmon referred to him as, you know, a driver and an engine on the line. So maybe he doesn't need. You know, that type of center, maybe they can sign Nolan Patrick and plug him in on the third line, or maybe it's Nicholas Waugh, you know, or something like that. And Dadnoff can still make his offense. Certainly, Pete DeBoer was hesitant last year to break up that misfit line. He talked about it in the playoffs of just, you know, the chemistry that they have, the, you know, effectiveness in the production that they have, that there just wasn't a good reason really to break it up. And, and as long as the roster is, the way that it is, and you see that the top six can, you know, come back intact. I think if you're Pete DeBoer, you probably start with it that way. But I do think, you know, maybe going into this year, he'll be a little more flexible, maybe a little bit more willing to experiment and and tinker with those lines a little bit. We'll see. You know, now that he's got some different options and you know some guys who can do some different things, it, it might be what he's been waiting for all along. Yeah, I guess we'll find out. Uh, maybe we'll get some hints early on in training camp if we see some kind of mixing and matching going on. Um, but, you know, with Tuck uh, starting the season on LTAR, we kind of have the full picture of what we assume is going to be the Knights group heading into camp. Uh, they still have to, you know, re-sign RFA's Nolan Patrick Coughlin, but, you know, those probably aren't going to be, you know, contentious or super difficult negotiations one would expect. Um, but now that, like I said, we know kind of the group that they're bringing with Dadnoff coming in, Brassois coming in, Fleury going out, Yanmark coming back. Uh, are the Knights overall, do you think, starting next season in a better place than they did this past year, Dave? Are, have they moved this for, or this roster you know, forward a tick, backward a tick, kind of stayed the same. What's your kind of feel on where the Knights are at right now heading into the 2021-22 the season? Yeah, I think that's kind of the, the million-dollar question everybody in, you know, the, the media wants to ask right now and, and wants to kind of answer. I know uh, I had talked on the radio with Ed Graney the other day on Monday uh, and was asked the same question, and I gave a pretty frank answer of no. I don't think they're better. If anything, I think they're they're basically where they are. And I think the goaltending is still good. Robin Leonard for, you know, the last three years, if you, you know, 
threw the stat out as well. You take, you know, I think it was 50 games played over the last three years. He's got the number two save percentage of, of any goaltender in the league. If you stretch that out over 100 games played over the last three years, it's number one. Better than Vasilevsky or, you know, Hellebuck or anybody else. So you figure they've got strong goaltending, but they're also not going to get probably a 1.98 goals against and 928 save percentage or whatever Flurry gave them this year. Uh, and then you take Tuck out. The biggest thing for me is Tuck, like I mentioned earlier. You know, I saw the vision and I could see where Kelly McCrimmon and, you know, George, George McSteen, that scouting staff, were going with the roster building and trying to do it a little bit more by committee and not necessarily relying on, you know, your top end stars to provide all of the offense. You know, giving Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty, Shay Theodore, Alex Petrangelo, some of those guys, you know, a little bit more help throughout the line of adding a 20 goal score. Well, now you take Alex Tuck out and all the things that we just talked about. And Dadanov is a different player and, and he gives you different things. And I don't know that you can expect, you know, like we, the same sort of, you know, impact back checking and, and doing those sorts of things. He doesn't threaten the defense with speed the same way. So if anything, I think, you know, maybe it's a wash. Maybe they're in the exact, you know, kind of same spot they were last year, but I don't think they've moved forward. And I think from the fan perspective, that's probably the hardest thing to swallow and the hardest thing to digest in all of this is that you've traded away fan favorites like Ryan Reeves and, and, and Marc-Andre Fleury, and you just don't see the tangible improvement. There isn't a Jack Eichel you know, that's come in. There isn't a star, you know, number one center or just somebody that gives you the idea of if we're going to move out the guys that we as fans really like, then you're going to have to replace them with other similar talent. And it just doesn't feel like at this point that they've done that. And, and I do think that's where the anger and the disappointment from the fan side of things really stems from. Yeah, you can totally. Because I think understand and appreciate where that's coming from in terms of, as you said, I mean, they literally traded, I think, you know, it probably wouldn't be an exaggeration to say uh, the two most popular players on the team. I mean, Flurry is obviously number one. And I think Reeves could have had an argument for the number two guy. Now Flurry and Reeves' on ice impact are uh, obviously very different, but uh, still, that's a loss that's felt by the fan base. And for the most part, both of those trades, the Knights got a third round pick back for Reeves. Uh, like I said, Flair, they got a minor league forward back that they're basically only going to you know, keep in name only. It's not like they got back significant assets that fans can point to and be like, well, that's why we did it. They were both salary cap clearing moves. And obviously in a flat cap world, salary cap space has value. But I think you can understand that for the most part, uh, that's not exactly something that uh, fans get excited about when they see. Um, but I also think, to be fair to the Knights, uh, a team that, you know, was right there in the president's trophy race last year and obviously made the final four for uh, the second year in a row and the third time in four years. They're at a spot, a spot where it's very, very hard to improve. And there are very few things like outside of, as you mentioned, getting an Eichel that really, I think, would uh, make it very obvious to everyone of like, oh, yeah, they're better. Um, so I think they were in a tricky spot from that regard. They obviously could be certainly deeper when 
uh, if, if I should say they get Tuck back and if everyone else is healthy at that point and they're able to kind of really have a deep lineup where we're talking about, you know, maybe Dadnoff and Tuck are your third line. Maybe you're putting Yanmark on the fourth line. I mean, that obviously could present significant matchup problems for teams, but we're, you know, a ways away from that potentially happening. There's a lot that can go right, go wrong until then. So I, I do kind of think your point is valid of like for right now, just entering how they're expected to look on paper heading into next year. It's not like, you know, the 2021, 2022 Golden Knights are a lock to be, you know, the best team in franchise history. They're still obviously going to be very good, but we're, you know, I think the jury is still out on exactly how good they're ultimately going. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I also think it's fair to probably bring up a little bit of what you talked about, the fourth line, the fourth line this year, uh, just on paper with the guys that you kind of project there should be much deeper and much more effective. For sure. All right. Well, we're going to have one last topic before we mosey on out of here. And that, of course, is uh, the Olympics because the Olympics are on my mind because that's what's going on right now. We have watched uh, plenty of coverage uh, each night and uh, during the day in my household, much to uh, my girlfriend's chagrin, I feel like at various times. Uh, David, I know you're on vacation. Are you a big Olympics guy? Do you have a favorite, like, Olympic-only sport? Like, a sport you only watch, like, you know, every four years when it comes on? Yeah, well, yeah, I, I usually like the Olympics. But, uh, so, I, re- I like water polo. I played water polo in high school. Um, so, it's on every four years. It's my one chance to uh, to watch it and listen to everybody laugh at how many whistles there are in the game and how they don't understand it. But, yeah. Uh, definitely water polo. And then the other one is team handball. Ever since I was a kid, I've always loved team handball. Uh, same thing. I mean, it's like real simple. It's just throwing the ball in the net. So it's easy to follow. But yeah, for, for whatever reason, that sport has always like been real cool for me to watch. Yeah. So I don't understand why team handball like isn't a bigger deal in the U.S. Because every time I watch it, it seems like so exciting and thrilling and awesome. And yet... Like there's like nary a peep that uh, comes out of it uh, every four years. Like everyone just forgets about how awesome handball is every four years. So my goal is to not forget this time and like actually try to uh, seek it out a little bit more. But I agree with you. Uh, handball is awesome. I watched so much badminton over the past, you know, two weeks. Um, obviously, I love uh, all the main events too that they put on prime time. Like uh, my sister was a swimming. My uncle is a swim coach. Love watching swimming all the time. They're just awesome. The Olympics are awesome. There's so much uh, good stuff going on. And uh, I'm going to be very bummed when they wrap up in about less than a week. But the good news is we will have the Olympics back in 2022, the Winter Games. Uh, we don't know 100% if the NHL is going to go, but things do appear to be on track there. Uh, ESPN reported last week that a marketing deal didn't get done, and that was a major kind of point of negotiations between uh, the NHL and the IOC, but it's still looking like the league will go at this point. One positive sign that you might want to take out of it is that USA Hockey did name uh, Pittsburgh's Jack Sullivan as their coach, so that's maybe a sign that, you know, they obviously needed to have a coach ready in case they go, and so maybe they're thinking, like, hey, it's probably going to happen. Um, 
and anyway, the uh, Olympic hockey tournament will have a lot of Golden Knights flavor to it, I think, uh, if and when it indeed happens. Um, I'm actually, you know, kind of personally thinking that the Knights are going to have guys like uh, Alex Petrangelo, Mark Stone, Shea Theodore on Team Canada, Max Pacioretty on, on Team USA, and then probably William Carlson and Robin Leonard on Team Sweden. Uh, Dave, is there, you know, anyone I'm, I'm missing there? Anyone else you think could challenge for a spot? I thought I saw something on Twitter. I admittedly on vacation and have tried to stay off the uh, the social media platform, but I thought I saw something that maybe Matthias Janmark was involved in some like pre-meetings with Team Sweden, potentially. So yeah, maybe him. Um, I guess what, like maybe like Dadanov might be involved with like Russia, maybe. I don't know. I guess if he has like a really big year with the Knights, you know, he could put himself into that picture. I feel like, you know, what Alex Tuck in the injury seems to maybe, you know, put away any chances that he would have had. I, I you know, I don't know. I guess we'll, we would have to see on that. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know what maybe like, is there somebody else I'm missing? Like March or so maybe? I, I don't know. Yeah, Marcheseau has played for Team Canada before at the World Championship, so wouldn't be shocking if he, you know, went to camp, got a chance to compete. I think your point about Dad now is a good one. He could definitely be a guy that goes. And and Yanmark, well, when he re-signed with the Knights, talked pretty openly about like, hey, I would the goal of mine to play on you know Team Sweden. You grow up watching uh, Sweden in the Olympics as a kid, so he's certainly going to do all he can to potentially make that team. And obviously he could be a very important depth player just because of his versatility, because he could provide backup kind of at a lot of key positions for uh, team Sweden. I mean, but with all those guys like involved, I mean, just how much would you look forward to seeing all these different uh, golden Knights teams or teammates go at each other? If the Olympics do happen, Dave. Yeah. And you know what? I, I, I would just, obviously he's not a golden Knight anymore, but, I think it's only fair to, to mention Mark Andre Fleury. I mean, Team Canada, you know, what maybe like Carey Price, but it's not exactly a strength for Team Canada in the goaltending department. So somebody like Mark Andre Fleury, who had, you know, a Vezina Trophy winning season last year, seems like he would be in the mix as well. So yeah, I mean, I think it'd be exciting. I think it'd be fun. I think just, you know, the buildup and, and, you know, being able to discuss, you know, the teams and, and players and, you know, watching their development, talking to them in, in terms of how much of a, of a goal it is for them. I know Alex Tuck, you know, obviously probably won't get the chance to do that, but he's somebody that, that certainly uh, takes a lot of pride when he's represented Team USA in the, in the past and had that crest, you know, on his chest. So, yeah, I think there'll be some excitement. I'd like to see it happen. I know there's a lot of, you know, questions when they just, you know, in terms of things like, it's the same sort of questions you always get with like the World Cup and soccer you know, in the professional teams and, you know, what happens when a guy gets hurt and, you know, is the, the pro team going to be compensated for, you know, the time lost and, you know, there's different issues. It's not just as easy as like, Oh, well, let's just send our guys and, you know, bring home a gold medal. There, there is more to it than that. And there's some, you know, negotiation and, and, you know, all that, that, that has to be figured into it, but if they're able to pull it off and, and those are, you know, the countries and the teams that we get to see, yeah, definitely looking forward to it. Definitely something that, you know, would bring a lot of excitement to the game and the sport. Yeah, it would be a huge platform for hockey. And I think uh, a lot of people would get 
very excited by that. So hopefully they end up going to uh, Beijing in 2022, but that is still not official yet. It just looks like signs are still pointing that way. And I figure, you know, throw out all those names, the Gold Knights who potentially could go because Olympics are on the brain right now. Um, but that's going to do it for this edition of the Golden Edge podcast. As a reminder, we are brought to you by the Las Vegas Review Journal. We are presented by Blue Wire Hustle. Uh, please check all our written work at reviewjournal.com. And also, if you could uh, rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcast, please do to this one. We would very much appreciate it. Uh, I'm Ben Ghost. That was Dave Shane joining us uh, live from L.A. on his vacation because he's just that dedicated and also a very helpful uh, co-member of the podcast. We are the Golden Edge Podcast. We'll talk to you guys again real soon. I'm Jeff Gehrman, an investigative reporter with the Las Vegas Review-Journal. I'm your guide for season two of Mobbed Up, The Fight for Las Vegas. You're in with every gangster and hoodlum in the United States. I don't go for that, Mr. Kennedy. I don't go for that kind of action. I was on television accused of fronting for the mob. Subscribe to Mobbed Up, The Fight for Las Vegas, season two, today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.